Well, good morning. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at Phoenix Bible Church. If you are new with us, a special welcome to you. We love uh, that we get to worship together, uh, not just in these four walls, but throughout the week. But these, these, in between these four walls, it, it's pretty unique that we all come together, this diverse uh, union of believers in Jesus. And some of you here are not believers in Jesus yet. We hope that changes by the end of today. Amen. Uh, Our heart for you is to love Jesus, live like him, and go on to lead others to him. But that starts with you loving him and knowing who he is. And so we want to help you with that this morning as as we look at God's word. So we're going to do that together. Uh, I love it that we have the kids in service. As Cynthia said, we don't always do that. If you're new, we don't always do that. Take note. Uh, We do have zero to three in the nursery. So if you missed that, we'd love for you to take advantage of that. Uh, but normally, we, we have our kids in, this, in the, their kids' classes learning about Jesus, becoming little disciples of Jesus, but we also like to have them in here worshiping with you, especially when we do baptisms. You see, baptisms is really the, the pinnacle of our faith, that we're showing what we believe. If you don't know Jesus, here's what we believe. We believe Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that we could not. He died the death in our place for our sin. He rose again victoriously over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And then we believe in him. We put our trust in him. We go from death to life. And so we get baptized up in this tank a little bit later. We're showing people going from death to life. And so we want your kids to see that and know that. Parents, I want you to have that hard conversation later today. Like, Mom, why'd that guy go down in the water and come back up? Is it a swimming pool up there? Like, what's going on up there? And we want you to have that conversation so you can make little disciples of your kids. My kids are in the service today. I have three kids, 10, 7, and 4. I have a middle uh, kid who is my son who's 7 years old. And here's what I've learned, parents, this is a little pro tip for you. I've learned if I want to stir up chatter with my son who's seven and his friends, here's what I do. You ready? I say, hey, guys, you know uh, Pokemon? That does it. Some of you, I just lost you, but you'll, you'll read about it, Google it, right? I'm like, hey, guys, you know Pokemon? You know who's the strongest Pokemon? Pikachu. Right. Amen, right? Amen. And immediately, my son, if they're in the back of the minivan or if they're at my house, my son and his, his buddies they'll start to chatter. If they weren't before, they, they start now, they're like, no, he's not. Like, it's Tapu. I had to write this down. That it's Tapu Coco. He's the strongest Pokemon. Or it's somebody else. Like, it's not Pikachu. And, and I just know if I want to stir up chatter with my seven-year-old son and his friends, I bring up Pokemon and Pikachu. Now, here, here's how I know I'm going to stir up chatter amongst Christians. You ready? I bring up faith and works. (gasps) You want to get some Christians talking, you want to get the church talking, they have for thousands of years, you bring up faith and you bring up works. And that's where we're going this morning. This morning's sermon title is Faith That Works. It's the title of the series we've been in, in the book of James. If you've missed, uh, we've already been alluding to this and talking about this, wrestling with this tension that if we have faith in Jesus, it should lead to something. And this is the crux of that argument that James is going to make. This is the the climactic point in the book of James. That's why it's faith that works. We're going to see that play out in James chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. So grab a Bible. Look at it with me. We're going to go there together. Pull it up on your phone. 
We're going to see James mention this word works 12 times in 13 verses. He's diving all the way into it. We're going to do that to our first point. If you take notes, is faith isn't knowing facts. It's expressing love. And James starts that conversation with a couple questions. Verse 14, look at that verse. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Now, James just gave you the crux of the issue. you got to look closely, though. He says, if someone says he has faith. Another translation says, claims he has faith. One theologian called it empty confession. See, right off the bat, we've got to understand the context. Here's why there's so much chatter around faith and works in the church for years is because we don't understand the context. You've got to get the context, right? Here's the context. James is writing to the early church, and he's primarily writing to Jewish people. And not just Jewish people, but specifically Jewish people who had become religious, lazy people. And they knew a lot of the right things. They had information, but they didn't have transformation. That's James's audience. That's this issue he's trying to tackle in all five chapters of the book. He's trying to to show you, hey, somewhere along the lines, you, you were learning the Old Testament, these Jewish people. You knew all the laws. You could quote all the things. You knew all the rituals but you lost sight of what it should produce and its works. So 12 times in 13 verses, he says works, 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 because he's talking to religious, lazy people who had lost sight of that and had become stagnant in their faith. So we're going to get back to that, but that's the context that frames all of this up. Now, this is typically the point where I'd give you a cute illustration of how faith maybe dead or faith is not leading to works and how that really doesn't even make sense logically if you think about it. But we've talked about James is a great preacher, amen? Amen. So he gives us built-in illustrations. Here we go. Makes it easy on me. Verse 15. (laughs) Verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, that was a common Hebrew blessing. They say that without giving them the things they need for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Now, here's what what James is saying. You ready? He's saying, love moves. Amen? If you've been coming to Phoenix Bible Church for any length of time, you've seen that phrase on the website, on a shirt, on a sticker. You've seen love moves and cat out of the bag. We didn't come up with that. We stole it from James, right? And not just from, the James, from James, we stole it from the whole Bible. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, the Apostle Paul, he says the same thing. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul, again, in Ephesians 3, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith so that we might be rooted and established in love. Jesus in John 13 says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. What's this one thing, Jesus, if you love one another? You see, one of the weirdest things for me uh, was when I was in seminary, this place where you dedicate a few years to study the Bible. 
You dedicate a few years to learn the facts of Scripture, to learn the deity of Christ, his person, his work, his character, his nature, the 66 books of our Bible, 40-plus authors written over 1,500 years in three different languages, all pointing to Jesus. And it's a worthwhile thing to do to to go to a school, and, and even if you don't go to a school, to dedicate years of your life to study the Scriptures. But one of the weirdest things for me was being in seminary surrounded by people who were paying lots of money to do just that. And then being around them for a little while and realizing they have become jerks. And I was just so weirded out by that because if you study the Scriptures... It should lead to loving people. If you know the facts of Jesus, it should be expressed in love. That's the way it was designed to work. That was the way it was designed to function. It starts with facts about God, and then it leads to faith in Jesus, and then it leads to love for people. And somewhere along the way, we get that wrong. In a seminary, in the church, in the Christian life. And James is trying to correct that. He's trying to show you this progression. This is the way it works, and the whole Bible shows us that progression as well. One of the things I love about our church, uh, I got to visit another church last week. We're trying to to grow as a church in our wisdom of how to care for you and how to shepherd you. So a couple of leaders and I and our families, we went to another church just to learn, hey, hey, what is the bigger C church doing in Phoenix? I love that we get to work together and we don't compete each other, amen? Amen. We don't compete against each other as as little local churches in Phoenix. We wanna see all of Phoenix transformed by the love of Jesus. So we went to another church to to see, okay, what does that look like in your expression, and how can we learn? I I don't know if you can just look around here, but God is, is moving. There's people here who God is moving in and through. A few weeks ago, we had to put up bar stools as the last row of chairs because we ran out of chairs. And so we want to go to another church and learn, like, how do you guys do two services? How do you handle growth? How do we care and shepherd these people well? And one of the things that I learned when I went to another church was that I really love my church. <laughs> like, I learned a lot of things. Like, they had a lot to offer, and I'm so glad we went. But I, I learned that I really love you. Now, of course, I'm biased. I started the church. Come on. Right? <laughs> If I wanted to go to another church, I would have just done that. It was easier. But I just, here's what I love about our church, though. Lots of things. But I love that we say we uphold truth as we engage culture and as we love people well. We uphold truth. The Bible is God's authoritative word. We're not budging on that. But as we learn facts about God, that leads to a love for people. And and there's a messy middle there where that happens. And in a lot of churches, that's why they just uphold truth. And they form a holy huddle and they stay away from the culture and they stay away from loving people because, hey, if we're really going to uphold truth, we've got to stand strong in it. We don't want to love people that way. But then you go to the other side of the spectrum in churches sometimes, well, well, we're all love and everybody's welcome here and we, we embrace everybody and we're all love, but they've forsaken the truth. And we just said as a church, hey, hey, what we want to do is is live in that messy middle, and it is messy. If you look around the room and and you can't really see it, James is going to talk about that, you can't see people's faith, but there's people who have faith here, and there's people who don't, right? And we want to live in the messy middle of, hey, you're welcome here, but we want to point you to truth. Why? It's not because we don't love you, it's because we do, right? Because that's what we see Jesus doing. 
And that's why a lot of people didn't like Jesus and it was confusing for people because he wanted to uphold truth while loving people well. And as I went to another church, I was just reminded as I studied this this week, I was just reminded that's what I love about this church. I love that this week we saw this play out, that we saw a brother or a sister in need. And we saw that need communicated and someone didn't just say, I'll pray for you. That's what James is getting at here. Like, go and be well, be warm and, and fed. Like, what good is that? That's not faith expressing itself in love. And I saw that this week. We had a, a guy who was having car problems amongst other things. It was just like that next thing. And I was in a group text with them, and they said, hey, could you pray for us? Another thing happened to our car. The brakes, I think, are going out. And that's creating all kinds of problems just with work and everything else. And a few of us said, hey, we'll pray for you. Someone said, hey, I'll go change your brakes for you. That's love, amen? amen? That's faith expressing itself in love. Now, in that moment, like it was appropriate for me to say, like, I'll pray for you because you don't want me changing your brakes, all right? That's just going to create more problems. But I got to find my way to love, right? I got to find my way to express love not just say, and this is what we do sometimes as Christians, I'll pray for you. How are you doing, brother? I hope all is well for you. Like, I'll keep you in my thoughts and prayers. And sometimes, like, what you want to pray about, God's already given you the answer to. Like, go do something. Go give them the coat. Go bring them a meal. They just had a baby. You don't need to pray about that. Bring them some food, right? Amen. And God's already given, pray, yes, but move, because love moves, and that's what James is getting at. So verse 18, he continues. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Again, James gets super practical here and I think a little bit sassy. Right? You, you see what he's saying there? Hey, let's just have an exercise here. Why don't you try to show me your faith without works? What's he saying? That's impossible, right? You can't show your faith apart from works. You show your faith with works. I love the way Chuck Swindoll said it, uh, the chancellor of the seminary that I did go to. He said it this way, faith is like calories. You can't see it, but you see the effects. <laughs> Amen? Right? You can't see the faith until you show it, until you express it. Verse 19 he says, you believe that God is one. You do well. James ups the ante even more, the conviction even more. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. And we see that in the Gospels, don't we? Well, we went through the Gospel of Mark last year, and we see all the time Jesus is doing miracles. He's, he's teaching. He's proclaiming who he is and what he has come to do. And what we often see is his closest followers, the disciples, and the religious people, they get really confused. Jesus calms the wind and the storm and the sea. And people around say, who is this man? Even the, the winds and the seas, they obey him. Who is this? And it's not till Mark 8 that Peter says, Jesus, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And even then, he really doesn't understand what he's saying. Guess who understands it really early on? Demons. Guess who's not confused? Demons. Several places I'll show you too. Matthew 8, 29. It says the demons cry out to Jesus, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Mark 1.24, a demon says to Jesus, 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the demons knew the facts. What's the problem? What was in their head never made it to their heart and definitely didn't make it to their hands. They had some information, but they had no transformation. And so all of us would do well. James is challenging us. Can you feel it? James is challenging all of us. If you've been a Christian since you were six or you just became a Christian six minutes ago, James is causing you to assess your faith. Hey, do I have a faith that leads to works? Do I have a faith that just knows facts or one that's expressing love to the people around me? Is there a disparity? Ask this this morning. Is there a disparity between your head, your heart, and your hands? How big is that gap? That's what James is getting at. Second point. Faith alone saves, but biblical faith is never alone. Now, that is a a quote from Martin Luther, the great theologian, the great reformer. Here's what's interesting about that. Martin Luther is one of the guys who had problems with James. But this famous quote is really what James is saying. I think in heaven, Martin Luther and James, they're going to work it out. They're going to become friends. Amen? I think they're going to work it out. Verse 20, we get into that. James says this, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Don't you just love James? (laughs) Earlier he called us brothers. Now he calls us fools. Just keeping it real, James. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Gives two examples. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and Faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, here's the verse that Luther had a problem with. Here's the verse that you probably have a problem with. Verse 24, look at it again. We're not trying to skip this. Verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And some of you might be thinking, well, Tim, that sounds different. I I thought it's by grace through faith. I thought it is faith alone. Remember the context, right? Who's James talking to? He's not talking to Gentile people. He's talking to Jewish, religious, lazy people. And so James is making a strong case that, hey, you've always landed on this. Oh, we're justified by faith. And, And just we know some things. And James is saying, look, these two examples, Abraham and Rahab, both of them, they sacrificed much with their faith. That it wasn't an empty confession. And if you look at it, Abraham, in the story of the Old Testament, he almost gave up his very son, Isaac, on the altar. Now, God in his grace says, oh, you don't have to do that. I'm going to provide a substitute. It's a foreshadowing of, he provides Jesus as the ultimate substitute. But Abraham was willing to give up his son because he had faith. Rahab, the prostitute, not the father of our faith, right? A prostitute. Joshua chapter 2. 
the Israelites, trying to get to the promised land. They have to go through Jericho first. And Rahab, this person who hadn't followed God, who'd rebelled against God, she grabs the Israelite people, she helps them defeat Jericho and go on to the promised land and risk her life doing so. Because when you have faith, it leads to works. You are justified in that you're credited righteous before God because of Jesus' works on your behalf. In a moment, that happens. But in another way, that justification, you proving that you were justified to begin with, happens as you risk, happens as you sacrifice, happens as you move. And James is making the case, hey, if you've always just said, I'm justified, I'm good, I'm right, I go to church, I know all the right things, I can quote the right verses, but if you look at that person's life and you don't see any evidence of that, you don't see any risk, you call them to give up their money to tithe to the church, well, that's my wallet. You, you call them to give up their, their sexuality, you know, that's my, that's, God created me this way. Like, doesn't God want me to be happy? Like, I'll just do it my way. I'll just go here and do this. This is my money, my life, my sex. And God is saying, you've misunderstood faith. Oh, yeah, but I believe in Jesus. Oh, God's fine. Like 50 plus percent of Americans say they believe in God described in the Bible. Listen, if half of America really did believe and had faith that led to works, Come on, somebody. America would be different, amen? amen? And so James is calling that out in America and the Jewish people to say, hey, this faith, it affects your life. It affects your wallet. It affects your sexuality. It affects your Monday through Friday. It affects everything. Right? And so we have to remember the context. And again, as we, as we come to really confusing texts like this, we always have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Right? Just so you know, if you read your Bible, and you should, you're going to read some things that seem not to make sense. And you want to look at other Scripture and allow that Scripture to interpret that Scripture. So we just have to look at James. He says, you're justified by works. So what does that mean? Does James believe that we're saved by works? Well, just look one chapter before, James 1.18. James also said this. He said, of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Ver, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, James talks about us inheriting the kingdom of God. Another translation says we have become heirs in the kingdom of God. And the reality is heirs don't earn. They're given stuff. Right? Being brought forth by the word of truth, what did we do? Nothing. We were brought forth. So James isn't saying you're saved by works. He's saying we know you're saved when we see your works. Right? So we have to look at these other scriptures in James, but also in our Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace alone so that no one can boast. But also God's given us works that he prepared in advance for us to walk in. Philippians 2.12, Paul says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who all of Scripture points to, Matthew 7, says, hey, if you just hear what I say and you never do it, then you're like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The storm comes and you collapse. 
But the person who hears what I say and does it, faith that leads to works, that person is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the storms will come, but you'll be cemented in the ground. You're not going anywhere. And so those are just a few verses to help you. If this confuses you, remember the context. Also, remember other scripture. This is what James is getting at. James is getting at that this faith should cost you something. In a few moments, we are going to do baptisms, and we ask two questions when we do baptisms, and they're very intentional. We ask first, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again for your sin? And they say yes. The second question is really intentional. Do you commit to follow Jesus all the days of your life? Because that's what it means to get baptized. That's what it means to be saved, to be justified, that you believe and you commit to follow That faith leads to works. You have to take action, just like Abraham, just like Rahab. I see this with my kids uh, when they go swimming. In particular, we went to uh, the lake, one of the lakes in Prescott a couple years ago. And my kids know how to swim. and, and, And usually in the pool, they love just jumping off into the pool, and they have a blast. We go to the lake in Prescott, and uh, it's not clear. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lake, and so it's not clear, but it's like a lake in Prescott, so it's definitely not clear. And they're on the edge of the the rocks, and they're thinking about jumping in. They do this all the time in the pool at home. But in this particular moment, they won't jump in, so I have to jump in first in the nasty, muddy water. And so Dad's in the water, and I'm saying, kids, come on, you know how to swim. Jump to me. And they're like, what's that in the water? What's that green thing? Why is it like that, Dad? And I'm just wading in the water. I'm like, just kid, jump to me, right? And he, here's what I say is, hey, Neela, hey, Ashwin, hey, Tanavi, do you trust me? And they'll, on the edge of the rock, oh, yeah, Dad, I trust you. Okay, well, jump in this muddy water with me. No, I'm not doing that, right? Now, do they really trust me? No, they trust their own footing, They trust the rock more than their dad, right? When do they trust me? When they jump, right? That's what James is getting at. When do we see that that someone trusts God? It's when they jump. It's when they, they give. It's when they serve. Now, do you have to do those things to earn your way to God? No, but you are expressing that you have already been changed by God. God changes you so that you would change. God gives you new life so you can walk in a newness of life. You jump. Uh, Some of you this morning, if I had to guess, you would say, hey, at some point, I did that. At some point, I was like Abraham. At some point, I was like Rahab. And man, I met Jesus, and maybe it was when I was a kid or in high school or college or later on in my marriage, and man, I just was like, everything's got to change, and we do need to jump, and and we got to start giving and serving and loving our neighbor, and and our neighbor doesn't know Jesus, and we got to start talking about Jesus with our neighbor, and I would be willing to guess that some of you have been there at some point, but later on in life, you did get married, you did start to have kids, you did get that promotion at work. And your faith that used to lead to action and risk and sacrifice and works became stagnant. Some of you became uh, like 
uh, at my kid's basketball game. My, my son plays basketball, and I go to his game, and, like, I used to play basketball a little bit growing up, and we have a goal in our, in our front driveway, and I get really excited when I'm at my son's basketball game. I'm that dad, right? And sometimes when they're shooting around before the game, like, I'll get out there, and I, I grab a ball, and I'm shooting around. There's all these little seven-year-old kids, like, what's this grown person doing out here? And, and I don't get out and, like, dunk on them. I don't do that, Right? But I'm kind of shooting and doing the layups, and, and at some point, my sweet wife looks over at me and is just, she doesn't have to say anything. She just gives me the look of, babe, let it go. <laughs> let these kids play their game, right? And I'll go to the sidelines, and I'll just sit, and I'll watch and try not to yell, right? And for some of us, that's what's happened in the Christian life, right? At some point, you were in the game, and you were out there, and you were stepping out in faith, and you were doing bold things for Jesus, and you were willing to serve and give up whatever it would take because Jesus has changed your life. But then you got married, or then you got that job, or then you had the kids, and things got busy. Then you started to have things in life, and, well, it would be a lot to give up what I have. And you just resorted to just, I'll sit on the sidelines and watch other people play. And this morning, Jesus has you here to remind you, you need to get in the game. Amen? Amen. Your faith should lead to action. Is it? Do you feel like, hey, a long time ago, like I remember, I remember this fervor for Jesus. I wanted to give my whole life away. Like it was a long time ago, but now life is different. And I meet some other people who are new believers and maybe the people who get baptized today and they're like, man, I want to go on a mission trip or I want to serve my neighbor. Or I want to serve in the church and, and I'm going to check every box on the connect card today. And you see that and, and you don't ever say this, but quietly you think, how cute. I remember when I was you. I remember what that was like. Oh, you, you'll learn. And you don't say that, but you think that. Some of you are there today. And God has placed you here this morning to hear this convicting message by James. To awaken your faith. To action. To step out. To join a team, ministry team at church. Not because we need you. God doesn't need you. We don't need you. But you need this. Because God has equipped you to function in the kingdom, not as a consumer, but as a participant, not as someone who knows facts, but expresses love. And so some of you, God is calling you to join a team today, not because we need you, but because you need to operate in the way you are designed to function. And some of you, you've been feeling that nudge, and every time we talk about that, you get a lump in your throat. Come on. Because you don't want to do it. And maybe the thing you don't want to do is what God's calling you to do, to step out in faith, to give up something for his glory and your joy. For some of you, that first step of action, that first step of obedience is, is baptism. You've seen people get baptized. You've thought about it. You, you've prayed about it. But God is calling you this morning. He has you here. He's taken away all the excuses. We have clothes for you. We have people to talk to in the back. We have people to pray with you. To step out in faith and say, hey, my first step of obedience is I want to publicly declare I'm coming out of this private faith, making it a public faith, and I want to publicly declare that I'm going to have a faith that works. I'm going to have a faith that's not just knowing the facts, it's expressing them in love. And for some of you, that is your moment today. However you need to respond, let me just tell you, you need to respond, because we have a faith that works. Let's pray together.
Father, I want to thank you for these men and women and these kids. God, I pray this morning that we would deal with you. This is the moment where we respond. We don't put it off till next week or, or lunch and go home. God, this is the moment. You are stirring every one of our hearts to respond to you with action. To see this faith that does start in our head, but to see it filter down to our hearts and then lead to our hands. And for some of us, that means serving. For some of us, that means giving, something that that is costly for us to give. For some of us, that means just getting baptized and saying, hey, I I want people to hold me accountable to this faith that leads to works. I don't want to walk in isolation. I want to walk with a church family that's going to help me see works lived out in my life. And and God, I pray just for all of us, whatever it is that you know, we know what it is. Help us have the courage, the faith to step out and jump and not wait another minute, minute, not miss out on all that you have for us in this faith that works. God, if we need to walk to the back and pray with people, God, help us to do that. God, if we need to fill out a card, help us to do that. God, help us not to leave here and miss this moment of a faith that transforms, of a faith that leads to works. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.